Nikkei, you are um, a Sheffield veteran, aren't you? You've been in the city for quite a while. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, 1994, I think we arrived in Sheffield. 1994. And we're still here. It's very good. I think that was the same year that I arrived in Sheffield. Oh, there so you there go. go. Snap. Uh, very good. <laughs> and you've been working, ministering here in the city. Uh, what have you been up to? Oh, wow. Um, lots of different things. I've been based at a King Centre all that time and part of Network Church Sheffield, so worked with the guys over at St. Thomas's uh, Philadelphia, but also been involved in doing some things across the city. Uh, prayer is a thing that's really uh, on my heart, and, um, oh gosh, about 15 years ago maybe, we started something called Empower, which is to encourage uh, Christians across the city to meet together and pray regularly, and we do that uh, four times a year. So that's one of the things. Brilliant. And then this September, you started something very new, didn't you? So what yes. have you been up to since September? Yes, in September, I started a new role as a regional minister with the Yorkshire Baptist Association. So I'm three months in a row. Very new, I'd like to keep saying. That's fantastic. I don't know how long I'll get away with it, but I'll use it as long as possible. <laughs> Great stuff. And I do actually have the official questions that have been prepared in advance by our team, so I must stick to these. So the first in-depth question that I need to ask is cats or dogs? Can I say neither? Neither. Sorry. That's, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, peas or sweet corn? It's got to be peas. peas. I, I've not lost half the room, have I? That's very good. And then I've got here Wednesday or United. Oh, no, that's the hardest question of all. Well, I can say our son uh, used to play for Sheffield Wednesday for quite a bit. Um, but I have to say Arsenal. <laughs> Did anybody say, yeah, I'd like to meet them afterwards? Very good. I think we Sorry. should pray for this lady, shall we? <laughs> Not because of the football allegiance, that's fine. But let's pray, shall we? Let's extend a hand in Nikkei's direction. Father, I want to thank you for Nikkei. I want to thank you for her ministry here in Sheffield over the years. And I want to thank you that you have now led her into a new season. And Father, I pray that you would anoint this woman more powerfully uh, than she's ever known for ministry. Father, we know that the church in this nation is not in the strongest and healthiest place. And I pray that you would use Nikkei to impart something of your spirit to the churches and to the church leaders that she meets with. And uh, Lord, that we would see your church in this season move into a time of revival. Amen. Pray that there be planting of churches, that yes. lives will be saved. Yes. Bless this woman, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. It's a real joy and a, a pleasure um, to be here with you today. Um, I was asked to speak on prayer. Uh, it, it's a topic that's really dear to my heart for lots and lots of reasons. Um, one of them is that I have actually seen God move incredibly powerfully in response to the prayers of his people across the whole nation. And I often say that once you've seen that happen, you can't ever unsee it. You always know that it, it's possible, it's happened before, and God can do it again. Um, on a Friday night, I was watching something called Experience 17. I don't know if anybody here No, Okay, you missed, but it's all right. What it is is a gathering of 700,000 people worshiping Jesus overnight. 
Exactly. So, I mean, that is an incredible thing. And that happened in Nigeria on Friday night. And that's a country where I have seen God move incredibly in terms of people coming to faith. I know it's got all sorts of problems. And I think part of the reason there's all sorts of problems is in response to what God did at that time, where so many people came to faith. And I've seen that. And I know that God can do it again. So I've been asked to talk on prayer. Prayer is very dear to me. Um, I always recall Luke chapter 11, where the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the thing that strikes me about that is that these people were not unfamiliar with prayer uh, because they were Jews, and Jews always had their own set prayers that they did on a regular basis. But they must have seen something in the life of Jesus that made them say, this guy is different. If we want to learn to pray, we need to ask this guy. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want to draw attention to the fact that they didn't ask, Lord, teach us how to pray, because you can learn how to pray, but never pray. Uh, there's a huge difference between those two. And I, I love to teach people to pray, and I also love to pray. And so the passage today that I felt God gave to me is in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, and I'm sure it's going to come up in a minute. And uh, this passage has embedded in it uh, what the early church did when it came to prayer. And so here it is. All the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared the meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is a passage that often theologians have grappled with, and they've often thought, is this passage defining what Christian community should be like, or is it actually describing what happened in the early church? Uh, or some others say, well, can you ever really live like that unless there's a revival happening? That it just feels like it isn't a normal way to live. Wherever you land on that, I just want to say there's something super attractive about what we've just read. And it's not just good news for us who are sitting in this room right now, it's actually good news for the rest of the people in Sheffield, where there are people who have experienced such loneliness, such pain. What an amazing thing that what we just read could become a reality in our city. And we know people have tried to make that reality. They have kind of formed Christian communes and things like that. But I think that even if we're not quite sure about whether this will be for us, because you're like, oh, I don't think I want to wake up every day and be in someone else's house every single day, because that might be a little bit too much. But I, that may be true that you may think that, but I think this passage does do something for us. I think it allows us, it, it interrogates us in the 21st century. It says to us, right, if you're not going to be exactly like that, what is it about the principles in this passage that could speak to us today? And for me, I want to particularly concentrate on a word that happened, appears at the end of verse 42, which is about 
they devoted themselves to prayer. Um, so we're going to come talk to, about prayer in a little bit, but I just want to unpack that word devoted because it's not a word that the only time I remember people using the word devoted is maybe when they're writing somebody's obituary and they say, you know, devoted mother of so and devoted wife of so. That's oftentimes when you hear it. So what does it, what could it mean? Um, some of the other translations, I think this translation we're reading is probably NIV. One of the other translations said, um, continued steadfastly. That's the meaning of devoted. Uh, continued faithfully, spent their time, gave full attention to, or continually committed themselves to something. So that's other ways of translating the word uh, devoted. There is in that sense of that word, there's something about duty in it. But can I say that it sounds more like joyful duty? Uh, there's something certainly sacrificial about devoting yourself because you're doing that in place of something else. There's also sounds like there's something in culture of forming about it, that devotion isn't just something that's a one-off thing. It's an ongoing thing that nearly creates a culture for whoever is doing the devotion. This made me think of an experience in my life when I was a little bit younger than this, uh, and there was a young man whose name is Ade, who is sat over there, who um, at that time lived in a town, in a city in Nigeria, actually the largest city in West Africa, Ibadan then. And I lived in a smaller city in Abeokuta, which was about an hour's drive from where he was. At that time, Ade owned a car, and the car was a Datsun Bluebird. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, that's that car. His was blue as well. It was like that. I kid you not, it was a talk of the town. It was a really nice car, this. But the story about this car was that any time that you could literally put that car on the road facing Abelkuta, just leave it on the road, it'll facing Abelkuta. So leave it on the road in Ibadan, it'll find its way to Abelkuta all by itself. Forget that was the first driverless car, by the way. You know, forget about Telsa and all this, you know, whatever the Model 5S or whatever. This was the first driverless car. It could find its way there. That's what our friends used to say. And when I thought about it a little bit more, I thought, hmm, what is it that would make that car know the way without GPS and all of that, find its way to Abelkuta then? And I have to say, I think it's a young lady that caused it, I think. I think it's the love that its owner had for a young lady that made that car become devoted, so devoted that it knew its way to Abelkuta. So the object of our devotion must be worth it. If not, we will not be devoted. The only reason that car was devoted was the object of its owner, and I'm very delighted to be the person, found, knew that this car knew that there was an object to the devotion of its owner. Prayer is one of those vehicles that regularly leads us to Jesus. That's what it does. Prayer leads us to Jesus. Whenever we're devoted to prayer, it means we're devoted to Jesus. And um, Acts, Acts and the New Testament letters, they really show us what devotion to prayer looked like for the first century Jesus movement. And I just wondered what then might this devotion to prayer look like for us in the 21st century? And the only way I could think that we might be able to get a real sense of what this would look like was for us to ask the best people. And to me, the best people were the Christians in the first century. 
And how do we get them to come to Sheffield at this time? The time travel. So imagine there was a bar, smoke and sound in that corner there. And out from that popped out three of our first century Christian brothers and sister. And maybe we'd say there was Barnabas, there was Joseph, and then there was Lydia. And they came to Sheffield. And we invited them, come. You guys knew what it was like to be devoted to prayer. Come and help us out. Help us see, are we devoted to prayer like we read that you guys were? And if we are, great. Encourage us. Is there any areas where perhaps we're not? Maybe you can give us some help with that. Maybe you could perhaps um, give up some pointers, or maybe you could perhaps help us out with some conversations between us and you about what this might look like. So they came, and don't forget how they're dressed. You know, they're not dressed like me. You know, I'm sure they kind of get this rap thing going, and they've got, you know, you know how the, typically what we would see in pictures and, and videos that were films that were trying to mimic what first century Christians would be like. So we welcome them. And in welcoming them, we welcome them into our life here at STC. We said, welcome to this space. You would eat with us. You would visit us. In fact, you get to stay in the homes of some of us. And what that means is that you can really experience what the rhythm of prayer looked like in those homes. You could experience what their personal prayer rhythms look like. You could see what our gathered prayer rhythm looks like. We could even take you to places in the city where you could meet other churches in the city, maybe take you to an empower gathering, just so you get a feel for what prayer looks like in the city. And after you've done that, maybe you can give us some general reflections and so on. So they came, and of course, we introduced them to our modern technology. We showed them our mobile phones. They're like, oh my goodness, what is that? We also kind of showed them all our money-saving, time-saving gadgets, you know, that we have, the washing machines, things that they never would have dreamt of. We showed them all of that. We showed them how we ate and all that kind of stuff. So they were with us for a while. And after they'd been with us for a while, we then asked for a debrief. You know, what would you say? What would you say? And the, one of the first things they said to us was like, guys, we really know that you love Jesus. When we're gathered with you guys, we know that there is a passion in your heart and soul for Jesus. We see it when you're gathered and worshiping together, pretty much like we've done this morning. We see it because we know that you've landed yourself a prayer shed. I'm not quite sure which direction the prayer shed. There we go. You've landed yourself a prayer shed. You couldn't do that if you were not committed and loving Jesus. We know that you love Jesus. We know that you did a 24-5 recently where you prayed through the night, day and night for five nights and days. You clearly, you love Jesus. So that was great. Then they shared some of their observations with us and they're only offering it they're not saying that we have to do this stuff. They were only just offering those things. And they said that they came across people talking about quiet time. And they were like, what? It's a quiet time? You know, they were like, if you're talking quiet, if what you mean is that the place where people let the word of God dwell in them richly, they were saying that's what they know. They know that the bar for them was never that you read a few verses a day. It didn't matter that you read a whole chapter a day. It didn't matter. What mattered was Colossians 3.16. They, they said, do you remember that letter? Oh, yeah, we all said, yeah, yeah, we remember it. That letter talked about letting the word of God dwell in you richly with all wisdom. 
That's the, that's the bar. So you guys feel like maybe you've lowered the bar a little. You're talking about quiet time. But what we know in the first century was a people who were so full of the word that actually the word dwelt in them richly. So they offered us that. Then they said to us, were we aware that there was a letter that Brother Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians? We said, oh, yeah, we love that scripture. Particularly, we love the bits where it talks about, you know, the, the whole armor of God and so on. So, yeah. And then they reminded us that there was a verse 18 at the end of it, which talks about praying with all kinds of prayer, with all kinds of prayer. And then they said to us, that's one of the things that helped them with their prayer life in the early, the first century. Because what they learned to do was to pray different kinds of prayer. And so they talked about prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of praise, prayer of worship, of supplication, prayer, prophetic prayer, declarative prayers, where you declare who you are in Christ. They said, if you don't get to do that on a regular basis, the world's view of what the world wants to make you will overimpose itself over who Jesus says that you are. That's one of the prayers that they said they did a lot. And they said, do you remember Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Paul was praying those prayers for the church. They're prayers of declaration that they learned to pray so that they would always have a sense of who God had made them to be. They talked about intercession, that, you know, the prayers of intercession. And they talked about a whole range of other prayers. And then they told us about that when they'd gone visiting with us, because we, we, we took them to lots of different places, they said, oh, they remembered going to some of the churches where actually the worship there was maybe different from the worship that they'd experienced when they came to SDC. They particularly talked about some churches where there were more like people from the global south who were in that church. So many people who were from Africa and that part of the world, they said, oh my goodness, when we went to that church, that you took us to, we spent maybe the first 10, 15 minutes praying before the service, and then we were just praying. They said they were praying in the Spirit, and prayed in the Spirit, and prayed in the Spirit for a long time, and that they were like, yeah, that was different. It was a different vibe, that, oh, there is something to be learned from other styles of praying, and other places in the world. Then they said we took them to another church where it was contemplative prayer, that they were in that church, it was hardly much noise, but that there was such a deep sense of God's presence in that place. And what they were saying to us is that, yeah, these are all things that the Lord has gifted us with in this city, that they didn't necessarily have lots of experience of, of that kind of, uh, of, of thing, but we do. We have places where there's different types of prayer going on in our city, and the invitation was for us to look for ways of engaging with those different styles of prayer, those different streams of churches that could lead us to expand our prayer lives. They talked to us about fervent prayer. They said that when sometimes when we gathered and people encouraged us to pray, that they noticed that sometimes we ran dry a little bit quickly of what to pray. And they reminded us of places where people would gather to pray and for maybe 20 minutes they're praying with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things they, they directed us to. They said, when you're praying, remember it's not just you praying. Remember Romans 8. Romans 8 says that we do not know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit of God helps our weaknesses. 
They said, even in your growing in prayer, they were saying to us, how do you think we grew in prayer? We grew in prayer because we recognized the help of the Holy Spirit. And our encouragement to you guys is to know that this prayer journey is not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit coming alongside you, walking with you, teaching you every step of the way. They also encourage us to listen to our own spirit. They said that there is a spirit that's alive within us, and sometimes that gets dumped down a little bit, overridden by lots of things that we sometimes want to do. They said that was all fine, you know, but like box sets on a Saturday night, for example. That sometimes if we listen to our spirit, our spirit will tell us, I want to pray. And that those are times when we should respond to God. That sometimes God himself initiates prayer times with us. It's not us alone who initiate prayer times with God. Those were some of the things that they had learned and they were sharing with us. They reminded us of the Lord's Prayer. And they said in that debriefing session that in the Lord's Prayer, you will remember that it starts completely the first three parts of the Lord's Prayer. And they remembered because some of them were there. You know, they were one of the early disciples when Jesus taught them that prayer. They, remind, they remembered that actually that prayer starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, may your name be made holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They said that they sometimes see that when we were praying, we very quickly began to do the second half of the prayer, which was about supplication. And they said that was perfectly fine, but that there is something about concentrating, spending time first, recognizing who this our Father is recognizing that we desire for his name to be made holy, recognizing that we want to be centered, that that first bit of that prayer was about centering ourselves on him so that the rest of our prayer flows into who he is. It's nearly like a reminder of the person to whom we've come before we bring our prayers. And they said that was one of the things that they tend to do when they gather to pray or when they're praying on their own. They spend time first in devotion to this God and what he's done for them, and who he is, and what he longs to be to the world before they, bring to, they start to bring their own prayers to God. And they encouraged us to make this part of our own daily, individual devotion and time of prayer with the Lord, not to leave it to Sunday when we've got an excellent band to lead us like we have done today, but to do that on an ongoing basis. And they said there are many ways of doing it. You could choose a psalm, read a psalm, and let that psalm lead you into God's presence. We'd show them our handsets, hadn't we? And they'd worked out that there's something called YouTube. And then they said, oh, there's some really great worship songs that they picked up on YouTube that we could use some of those. So some of us are like, you're a bit late to the party. We know that. Okay. And so there were lots of, of, of options that they gave to us. And then they said that they were aware that in the week that they'd been with us, that the, the um, census results had come out, the statistics of the census that was taken last year, and that it wasn't lost on them that one of the statistics was that the percentage of people who claim to be Christians in the UK had fallen from 57% to 46.2%. And they hadn't realized that that had caused a bit of consternation because they'd seen it on the news 
they'd never seen the news before, but they'd watched the news with us. They'd seen it on the news. They'd seen it, that that was really, they'd seen it in newspaper articles and, you know, online, online, that they'd seen that. And they were saying to us, we want to encourage you. We want to say to you that when we first started out in the first century, there was not point, not, 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 not point one percent Christians. It was a pre-Christian community. And they said, look at the world right now. And they were saying to us, we don't want you to be discouraged. We want you to be encouraged that God who did it then is still the same God who can do it now. And one thing they encouraged us to do was to pray for boldness to declare the scripture. They said, remember in the book of Acts chapter 4 towards the end when they gathered together to pray, they prayed for boldness that they may speak the word of God with great boldness. They encouraged us with that. We were really grateful to hear from them. We were really grateful that they were able to give us their own reflections on what it could be like to be devoted to prayer. And the encouragement they gave us was that we should take all of this that they offered to us and maybe individually in our homes, in our communities, talk a little bit about this and see how that might impact us going forwards in our own prayer lives. And so we said a massive, massive thank you to Brother Barnabas, Joseph, and Sister Lydia. That's how they like to be called. And uh, we set them over there again, the very spot where they landed, and we did the thing, and they went back to first century, and we remain here. Before they left, there was one thing they had said, actually, and I just forgot to mention that. They talked about the importance of outward-facing prayer, that much of what we do, and it's great that we pray, and today we were praying about Stanford and so on, but they also shared that there was something about creating spaces for prayer that was outside of a church, a gathering like this, outside of our own homes, outside of where we would normally live, creating spaces of prayer. They had stayed in the house of a friend of mine, actually, who used to be a part of your church, called Eunice. And they'd heard the story that Eunice had told them. Eunice had said that for a while, this happened, I think, in Eunice had said it happened, I think, in 2017 or something, that for a while there was something bubbling in her heart about praying in her workplace. And she worked at the Northern General at that time, praying in her workplace. And she'd been you know, praying, how easy will it be to get prayer going in a hospital? I'm a nurse, she says. You know, things, nurses, uh, medical professions in hospitals and setting up prayer, those aren't easy things to do because workplaces these days are not particularly wide open and saying, come, Christians, we want you. But she said her phrase to them was that she felt like a chicken that needed to lay an egg. <laughs> and they all laughed when they heard that, chicken that needed to lay an egg. And then in the end, she decided, I can't hold it anymore. I'm going to lay this egg. And she took the boldness, the prayer of boldness, and went to her line manager and said, I think that I would love to be able to set up a space for people to meet together to pray. And to her surprise, her line manager said, go put something on paper, just write what your views are, what you want to do, and let me have it. And she gave it to her line manager and said, that's fantastic. I'll just add something about charitable, and I'll add collection for food bank. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'd do that if that's what you want to do. And that became a thing. When she was talking to our brothers from the first century, 
they were able to, she was telling them that at some point, there'll be 13, 14, 15, 16 people gathered together, praying together there at the Northern General. And that prayer gathering is still on today, even though she's no longer there. That was the boldness. She took a step of boldness to bring prayer out of the closet, but into a space where normally you wouldn't see prayer. And that was one of the things that they encouraged us to do. As we begin to round up, I want to encourage us to listen and listen carefully to what our family from the first century had to say to us, their reflections to us about prayer. Where are we? There's some things I think some of us will recognize and say, yeah, that's great. Actually, thank you for mentioning that. That's right up my street. I do that. But there might be other things that some of us will think, I really need to spend some time thinking and asking the Holy Spirit, my paraclete, my helper, to help me get into this place of prayer. And I want to encourage us that this is a journey. Prayer is always a journey. Uh, we're not, if you, wherever you are in your prayer life, there's always more because Jesus is our love for him. Don't forget prayer, devotion to prayer is devotion to Jesus. Our love for him grows all the time. And as our love for him grows, our every kind of prayer becomes an opportunity for us to engage that love that we have for Jesus. Shall we pray? Father God, we just want to thank you for the gift and mystery of prayer. We want to thank you that when you gave us the gift of prayer, you gave us the means by which we humans can come before the most holy God, the creator of the uttermost ends of the earth, the creator of the universe, that even now the James Webb telescope cannot fathom the extent of your creation. And we get to come into the place of intimacy with you in prayer. Awesome. We thank you. And Lord, we ask you that you will do what the Holy Spirit alone can do and stir in us, each one of us in this place today, that it doesn't matter what our prayer lives are like, whether they're incredibly amazing, vibrant, or whether they're really a bit dull and maybe we don't even know what prayer really looks like. But we ask you today that you will move us on in this place of prayer, that we will not be people who will be static in where our prayer lives are, but will be people who constantly are growing in this place of fellowship, communion with you, day after day after day. Lord, I pray that in the busyness of life, in the business, the sheer business of life, that you yourself will show us and point us to how we can make space for you throughout our day to connect with you. You are worth it, Jesus. You are the absolutely worth it object of our devotion. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you that it doesn't matter what that love is like, but we love you. We can say that we love you. Whether it's agapilla, whether it's filio, we love you, Jesus. We pray that you draw us closer and closer into you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.